I'm speaking to a group where I realize there's more degrees and more success, more um, more achievements than probably many of us would be aware of. And I'm also speaking to a group that doesn't brag about it much, and that's pretty fun. That's good to be a part of you. If um, if maybe you weren't aware of what has happened in the last week or so, um, nobody to me was a better example of someone who overachieved, and he claims through overpreparing, than Peyton Manning, who last Monday it was announced that uh, he is now officially retired from football. Now, in case you're from another planet this morning, from the you know a uh, uh, parallel star system called Zorb, Peyton Manning was the quarterback of the Denver Broncos, and he won the Super Bowl 50 for us, leading the team. It wasn't his best performance, but it was one of the better games that I had the playoffs. He made a um, public service announcement in which he, um, <clears throat> he, he linked himself with the CU Medical Center, and uh, he made this announcement, and it was shown at every game, and it was shown in a lot of places. And I, I want to show this to you right now because, to me, it describes the, the way of the world. And it's not I'm not condemning this in any means. Uh, it is very important that we understand how much hard work and achievement matters in life. So can we show that? Do we have that? Here we go. They say it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. But what happens at 20,000 hours? Or 30,000 hours? What happens when you dedicate yourself to it? Do you become something greater? A leader? A mentor? An innovator? At a certain point, it seems, you stop playing the game and start changing it. With more than 300 clinical trials underway and a tradition of making breakthroughs, the game changers in medicine are at UC Health. Could there have been a better person to be the... Um the moderator or the speaker in that than, than Peyton Manning. In fact, you might call it the Peyton Manning effect. The more you put in, the more you get. The harder you work, the greater your reward. We, we would, most of us say that this is true in, in so many things that we do in life. But when you think about it, he had a salary of about 19 million, okay? Give or take a little bit. And he got paid to hold that ball for no more than four seconds at a time. Because if he held it for more than four seconds, he would probably get sacked. Now, when you think about it, I could do that. You could give me a ball and I could hold it for about four seconds and then I could just, you know, get rid of it. In fact, they let me try it six times in ninth grade and they realized, you should be a lineman, Jim. Okay? And so they they made me a guard and it was fine. Uh, But when we're coming to understand how important is it 
that he put in 20,000, 30,000 hours. He was the most prepared. Not He said not the most talented, but the most prepared for every game that he went to of anyone he ever knew. Now we look at him, and he's a washed-up 40-year-old, unemployed ex-jock, uh, wondering what he's going to do with the rest of his life. But the chances are, as we look at his character, and we understand what he has done in the past, somehow, some way, I think he'll make ends meet. Now, we are doing a study of a letter that Paul wrote to some new Christians in the city of Ephesus, a place that is now ruins, but it's on the coast of Turkey. And in the first half of that letter, it is totally dedicated to Paul writing to these Christians so he could brag on God. This is antithetical to the way that our world works. And again, if you're not from this planet, you need to understand that the human race has a couple of core beliefs, and one of those is that we brag on man. All our achievements we like people to know about. We might say we're humble and it really doesn't matter. Oh, no, oh yes, I did get that. Oh, and that, you know, that uh, 20-foot blow-up behind me that's my picture, I, I guess that has something to do with it. But in general, we say that we brag on men. And we believe that the human uh, nature is unlimited in how far that it can go. We can achieve just about anything if we put in the 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 hours. Now, that's a core belief of humanity, and it is antithetical to a core belief of the Bible. And the core belief of the Bible is that we are depraved as a species in desperate need of help that goes beyond our own capabilities, especially when it comes to the relationships in our lives, the relationship that we have with the Creator, the relationship we have with other people, and even the relationship we have with ourselves. We say... We hear that word depraved, and we go, we live in a world in which it is based on achievement. How do you put the two together? And I realize that when we, word, when we use that word depravity, and you say depraved, no, not me. Look at all I've achieved. Depravity comes across as something that's just a little harsh. I mean, let's think of euphemisms, better words that we can use. I'm a little imperfect. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a person in progress. I'm achieving towards a, a higher standard in life. I would use many words. Uh, but depraved? I don't talk that much about being depraved. It just sounds so negative. So demeaning to our self-concept. It sounds so hopeless, like I'm stuck with being depraved for the rest of my life. There must be some better alternatives out there. And for, long, for as long as our species has been in existence, we've been inventing such other alternatives. I'd like to take the top two, if I might, in terms of secular human beliefs. And the first is the one that we've just been exploring, what I call the Peyton Manning effect. It is the merit system. A basic human belief of the merit system means I get rewarded out of merit, not out of any other reason. I have worked so hard, I have earned my achievement. This works in our world. And so many of you really have achieved great things in your education. I mean, there's, there's more degrees out there than Fahrenheit. Your career paths, your cherished relationships, your financial status... Uh, 
You're standing in the community. The good works you do in your volunteer. Our rewards are our reputation. Or maybe the financial uh, 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 effects that, that come with hard work. And we can honestly say these have been earned by us. More than that, if it's not just what we have achieved, we can use what I call the comparison method. And that means I merit more than you because as I look at you, God grades on the curve and I'm higher on the curve than you are. Listen to this. A survey was taken of 800,000 New Zealanders. Now, I've been to New Zealand. They look a lot like you and me, okay? They talk a little funny, but they're a lot like you and me. And the survey only had one question, and here it is. Are you above or below average in getting along with other people? What do you think the the response was? Out of 800,000 people, 800,000 responders, all, all, not 790,000, all, everyone answered that they are better than average in getting along with other people. So we have two conclusions here. One is, move to New Zealand. It's a great place to live, right? Or the second is, don't go to New Zealand. They're all delusional. I've been to New Zealand. They're not delusional, but anyway. Uh, And finally, merit means that if I am a good person, the Peyton Manning effect, and there is a God and there is is an eternity... That means that by the way I have lived my life, I deserve that eternity with God. Let's face it, every one of the great religions of the world would agree with you except Christianity. Every religion in the world, including Christianity and Judaism, says God loves the good guys and he despises and punishes the bad guys. That's the merit system. It's ingrained in our human nature. And it helps us feel very, very good about ourselves because we're part of the 800,000. We are better than most. Now, the merit system is one. The second system, which was in Ephesus and also in the world today, is what I call the insider information track. You might say that is the David Copperfield uh, uh, effect. David Copperfield, a Las Vegas magician or illusionist. This says that, yes, I'm a little bit honest with myself. I'm maybe not better than most. I may be right in the middle of the curve, and I'm not certain which way it's going to go. Uh, But I have some special inside information that will make up for my imperfections. And I've come across these in life, and I don't merit them, but I have found them, and and they've worked every time. Twice in my life, I have interviewed Satan worshipers. They had all turned to Christ. They'd both turned to Christ with their families, but for a, a, a series of years in their lives, they were worshipers of Satan and offered animal sacrifices and all these other things. It was really weird. And I, I just had to say, what is it about worshiping Satan that attracted you? What is it about him? I mean, I, I'd like to know because I see no, no attraction for me. And they both said this very same thing. Power. I would have power as a Satan worshiper that I could never have in my life without him. And so they moved that way, eventually moved away because it turned out the power wasn't there. But let's, I realize that most of you are not Satan worshipers or you wouldn't be here today. But let me show you a couple other things. 
in terms of the insider effect, inside information. Remember I brought this on Super Bowl Sunday? And I said it was my lucky Bronco tie. Who won? Okay. And are we agreed that they won because I wore this tie? And the answer would be, don't laugh. Yes, Jim. Yes, Jim. They won. So I just want you to know that one of the things I've done is I've contacted the Bronco office, head office, and I've let them know for a fraction of what they're about to pay for another quarterback, they can have this tie. And they would win again next year. Gary McNally emailed me after the game, and he said, I'll give you $20 for that tie. I said, I, I, said I paid 30 He never answered. But there is one way in which I have insider information. Hey, how about this? Holy toast. What you do is you put this on your piece of toast. You slip it in the toaster. I think it works for French toast, too. And it, and it, what it does is it, when the French toast comes out, it gives a picture of the Virgin Mary praying to God. And with each, with each bite of that toast, you will get special favor from God. Do you see what we mean by inside information? It's out, it's out there and it's everywhere. And we say, that's so foolish. No, friends, we still do it. We still do it. And in Ephesus, they had this whole line of, they bought special charms. They had these incantations. They had these prayers that they could make. They had a whole series of things that they would give so that even though they were considered themselves normal people, they could get special help from above or below that would help them get ahead. Lucky tokens. It just goes on and on. And even now, some of us, don't we have special patterns that always bring us good luck? Why is it you always sit in the same seat? Why is it you always drive the same way? You might say, well, because it's the only way. (laughs) No, I've never had an accident on that way before. People have had accidents going other ways, so that must be the best way. We we are a superstitious people. Uh, Many years ago, a friend of mine... uh, 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 I mean, a son, a friend of my son, uh, his father called me and he said, there is this new stock coming out that I highly recommend you buy. Now, I am a, I'm working with them, not for them, and I just think this is going to take off. And it was a new technology, and I said, oh, why not, you know? So I bought 100 shares, and sure enough, it went up two times, three times in just a period of about three months. Wow. So I called him and said, anything else you're doing? Because if we do this right, i got a great future ahead of me. You know, I found out over the years that I've often had special tips come to me. And they come to me from other people who think they're so well-informed. And this is where I had to balance out. I have worked out that these special tips, these, uh, this insider information that comes to me, I've lost much more money than I have gained, especially in stocks. And so what I've done is I said, well, I think I'm going to go to an expert, somebody who has invested 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 hours so that maybe he is a leader, a mentor, an innovator, at least an expert, please. These are the ways that the world works. 
And by, these, by this insider information, we believe that we obligate the gods or God to do exactly what we need and what we want. Now, put this against, and this is what Paul is trying to do, because understand that in Ephesus they had this huge bonfire in chapter 19 of Acts, where all these people that were superstitious brought all their, their, all their charms, uh, all their scrolls, uh, everything that they had written down to get uh, that where they thought they had special inside information, they had a big bonfire and they burned them all because they had turned to Christ. And this is what uh, Paul is trying to tell them now about five years later after he left Ephesus and is trying to bring them back to remember what they came from and where they are now. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians chapter 2. It only took us two months to get through chapter one. We're really moving, okay? And, and, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter two, and I'm going to read the first ten verses, and they're going to show it up there on the screen, okay? So it reads this way. Um, Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse one. Uh, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, meaning Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, talking about all these Ephesians Christians, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's read this one together, okay? Because most of you have memorized it, but it's really quite a very key understanding of how it's not merit, and there's nothing wrong with merit in the human world, and how it's not insider information. Let's read it together. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Antithetical. Totally different. Heavenly view versus human view. And what does it begin with? Man, if you thought depraved was wrong, how about this? You're dead. I mean, it's just a step lower, isn't it? You are spiritually dead. So we operate in the secular world of merit and inside information. God operates in his heavenly world by his criteria. And as, as, your, as, as your holy creator, he looked at this race that we call humanity and he declared it spiritually dead. That means you are a spiritually dead man, a spiritually dead woman walking by nature. You have a physical life. You're breathing. That's a good thing. But you do not possess the spiritual life that God has designed you to walk in. Paul is talking to people who had been following Jesus for about five years. They have not forgotten how God has transformed them into a new spiritual life. 
Now, my story goes way back. But maybe this will help clarify what it means to move from spiritual death to spiritual life. I can't remember a time in which I did not believe God existed. I cannot remember a time when somebody said, Jesus is God's son. I go, okay, sounds fine with me. I had this intellectual belief that I said, well, that makes me a good person. I'm not an atheist. They're bad. I'm a good person. And yet I could honestly say that there was no effect of those beliefs on my life. I was 17 at the time when I finally not just heard but listened carefully to uh, that Jesus offered me forgiveness for my sins by taking on my sins upon himself on his cross. And it caused his death and allowed me to have life. At that moment, I believed for myself and became spiritually alive. Intellectually, I believed in the existence of God. But in my soul up to that moment, I did never place my uh, soul trust, my whole soul trust in Jesus that he could make me spiritually alive. And it was at that time when I can honestly say there was a line of faith that I crossed at that moment from spiritual death into spiritual life that God has promised me. Now, I was spiritually alive, but I I would have to say, when I opened my eyes after that prayer, I, I knew something had happened, but there was no immediate difference that occurred in my life. I knew something had changed, but I didn't know how to describe it. The Bible uses this word, salvation. For me at that moment, it was that change of going from spiritual death, not that I disbelieve in God, to spiritual life, placing my trust in God in sending his son for me. The next thing that it says about, uh, and this is, the news gets better, that there's a heavenly gift that's available to you. But unfortunately, the heavenly gift means that the ways of the world don't work anymore. And that's the next key truth. Spiritual life does not come like so many other things in our lives. It does not come by merit, but it comes as a gift. The word that's used is charis in the Greek, grace. It is the unmerited favor or the gift of God. And once I believed and placed my trust in Jesus, I understand that God gave to me what I could never earn on my own spiritual life, a relationship with him. Now, the Ephesians, reading this 2,000 years ago, at first, most of them were Jews. And they were Jews who had turned to Jesus. From their background, they had a religion to follow that they had to, in some ways, jettison. What do I mean? They had rules in that religion to follow. They had sacrifices to make, foods to avoid, festivals to celebrate, worship services to attend, foreigners to, to distrust. Uh, all these things were part of what it means to live a merit system where you are, you are living according to God's standards. And they believe that by fulfilling these laws, they were earning increased favor with God. And not only that, but when they compared themselves to other cultures, the Greeks, the Romans, the, the Egyptians, they were morally superior. But they had never yet discovered nor received the gift of God's grace until Paul comes to town. 
And he shares about God seeking us, not we having to earn our way to him. And God offering to us what we could never earn. And that's what we call grace. Unmerited favor, unmerited love of God. So if any of you this morning believe that you carry around moral standards that are probably better than those around you, I want to say this, you may be correct. Nothing wrong with having high moral standards. Ask some of your friends and they might say, you're in denial. You're just as good as I am, maybe worse. Or you may be from New Zealand and delusional, thinking that you get along better than anybody else. But the problem is, though you compare yourself to others, you may still be spiritually dead. You may not be spiritually yet alive. And that's the heavenly gift. The claim is that, for it is by his grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift. A gift. A gift that is offered and must be received. Well, when that happens then, you find yourselves, you have to stop counting how much you've done and you have to start honoring God. And that's what these first three uh, chapters in Ephesians are all about. Uh, he says it's not by works, not, not by the merit of your life, you're not allowed to boast. So he tells these Jews it's not by their works, it's not by their moral and their legal ways that God has saved them, it's by God's initiating grace. So when it comes to your relationship with God, he gets the honor along with his son Jesus. And we have to confess that we have to brag on God and not on ourselves. And that's, let's face it, that's fairly hard to do sometimes. Have you ever wondered, well, why did God do it this way? Why doesn't he do it the way that all the other religions have agreed to? Why doesn't he do it by merit, by, by good ethics, by, by moral standards? Why would he do it that way? Well, one reason is, is that you have a highly superior rating of yourselves. What do I mean by that? Um, you believe that your moral deeds are better or at least good enough to get you into God's favor. But by God's standards, we will never measure up. And I want to say this. If you're honest with yourself, by your own standards, you don't measure up. Come on. Come on. You know that's true. I've always believed I shouldn't lie. Why do I lie? I think one of the reasons I lie is to protect myself. But the other reason, I think God, you know, well, understand, I'm a really bad liar. You can catch me every time I put my eyes down. I, you know, I, I, the body language, the, the tone of voice, I'm really bad at it. So, um, but um, we, we have a standard of ourselves that we don't reach. But we understand that a holy God has a perfect standard that he keeps. And that is the standard that he has for us. Why then do we need grace? Because we'll never meet those standards. Well, let's try insider information then. Let's go back to that way. Why would I need grace? Well, if I try a special prayer or eat a holy vegetable, you know, three times a day, if I pray eight times a day, or I read a book that no one else but me and the author know about, uh, 
you know, this author, maybe just he and I have discovered this special magical way that can get God obligated to love me, then maybe that's the way ahead. But what God wants to do is to scream at us and say, I didn't mean for it to be that hard. I didn't mean for you to get lucky and come across something nobody else has ever seen. I didn't mean for you to feel like you had to be perfect. Instead, I have come to you. I have come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm the one who's taking the initiative. I'm the one who's seeking you. And as I'm seeking you, understand that my son put upon himself the sins that you have committed through his substitutionary death on the cross. And through that that, that event, I am making you an offer. So because of my great love for you, not because of your good deeds, you can be given the acceptance and the relationship that you have desired for me and with me. You can be given that, but you can never earn it. And you can never just stumble across it and say you got lucky. Now, I say this with confidence, not just because of my experience, but because what I am clearly doing is stating what we have just read in Ephesians chapter 2. That has been the way, the understanding that we're to have from the beginning of humanity. It's just that from the beginning of humanity, we choose our own way. And I just don't say this on myself because Paul has said it, but Jesus himself has said it in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. How many come to the Father except through me? No one. No one. You have this grace offered. It must be a grace received. Now, There's just one other part of this that, that to me is just so amazing. <laughs> you see, uh, we are spiritually dead, but we have a heavenly gift of, of spiritual life. Through this, God gets the honor, not us. We have to sort of throw away this, the, the way the world works with, with this merit system and maybe insider information. And then <clears throat> one, of the, one of the benefits we have, now, as a teenager, I'd go, this is the benefit? Listen very carefully. One of the benefits we have is to work for God. Now, way back in the 60s, there was this television show called uh, The Life of Dobie Gillis. And there was a character on that show by the name of Maynard G. Krebs. And Maynard G. Krebs was a beatnik. And there's one word that just set him off, and that word was work. And as soon as you said to Maynard G. Krebs, the beatnik, well, maybe you need to find a job and go to work. Work! As a teenager, whenever I heard that word work, I would say, boy, I'm really busy doing other things. In verse 10, it says this. For we are God's workmanship. In other words, he's done a work in us. Isn't that neat? I'm a real piece of work. Okay. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And then look at the last part. Which he prepared in advance for us to do. As we think through this system of grace... There's some thinkers among you that are saying, let's, let's apply logic to it. In other words, as I apply logic, you're saying I do not have to be a good person if I trust in the grace of God and Jesus' death on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And that is right. Then the next step is then, doesn't that mean, therefore, if all I need is trust, 
then I can continue to do whatever I want for the rest of my life. That's not how a relationship works. It's how logic works, but you put a relationship into logic and understand you don't, you don't really get yet the response of grace through a relationship. If someone gives me something just out of love for me, do I say thank you and get out of my life so I can use this? Or am I forever grateful to that person for the gift that I never could have gotten by myself? I find that I live in a way that I am consistently saying thanks to that person. It is not what I gain by living that way, but it's who I honor by living that way. By living in those good works, I am bringing honor to God. Another approach might be, well, you know, understand that, um, uh, uh, and, and this is explained very well in, in, in the letter of James, um, who was probably Jesus' stepbrother or half-brother, where um, one person would say, isn't faith just by itself enough? And many Christians would say, yes. In fact, the way I presented the gospel today is faith is what you need. Faith in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, crossing that line of faith where you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone as the way, truth, and the life for you. Isn't that enough? And James just puts it another way, the same thought, but just in another way. It's never really faith or good works. It's real faith is always seen in good works. James chapter 2. Our great God knew from before your birth that you would follow Jesus. And knowing your destiny, our God has prepared good works for you to do. Uh, This is true. I will not sheepishly put my eyes down. This is true. About 10, 15 years ago, I'm... uh, Driving my car to work, I live near Safeway. Driving, I get to Elk Meadow and start that steep climb up. And I run out of gas. It's January. It's cold. You know Elk Meadow, it's always windy. I pull my car to the side of the road, get out, kicking myself because I have this lucky habit of waiting till it's really beyond empty, okay, <laughs> until I force myself to get gas. So I put, you know, and I'm kicking myself walking up the hill. I said, well, why did I do that? You know, it's January. You, guess, you don't get as good mileage when it's 10 below. <coughs> Here I am walking up there, and a car pulls ahead of me on the shoulder and stops. Window goes down. Hand says, come on up. I get up. I get to the car, get in the passenger seat, and it's a pastor's wife, Julie Hoban. Many of you remember Pat and Julie Hoban from, okay. So um, there I am with Julie, and I say, boy, thank you so much. She goes, well, what happened? Uh, uh, Bad liar. So I finally say, I ran out of gas. I just wasn't thinking, you know. And she goes, oh, okay. Do you realize, Jim, that you're an answer to prayer? I said, oh, gosh, you know, that's... You know, she just really pumped me up, and I said, well, I'm sorry, I can't say that I prayed for you that much, Julie. But she goes, no, I was, this is true, I was just asking God, 
who he would put in my path today. And there you are. Now, I'm in your car because I did something stupid. Okay, like we're not going to delve into the theology of that. I did something really stupid. But Julie sees me in her car as a work that God prepared in advance. And she's just catching up to what God wants. Well, that's half the story. You want to hear the other half? We're, uh, <clears throat> we're on our way, and she goes, well, I must confess, Jim, I was really hoping you were a non-Christian. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me, a pastor. I know that takes down the property values and everything else, and nobody will ever want to be in your car again. But she goes, no, I, I believe that the good works that, you know, that God has prepared, some of those are the, are the, the people who do not yet believe that, that I'm supposed to be involved with them and helping them. Isn't that amazing? How do you pray for the good works that God desires for you to do? He has prepared them. They are waiting. They will emerge. How do you pray? We're going to pray in just a minute, but I, I think also I need to say this. In, in an audience, uh, I'm sure that all of you are not, um, well, many of you are familiar with the merit system and maybe still trust completely on that for spiritual life, not just a good life and being rewarded for your hard work. Many of you have achieved wonderful things in your life, and you have, you know, your merits have made you a, a leader, a mentor, an innovator, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But you may not yet be spiritually alive. It just may be that you have not crossed the line of faith, and you're still wondering about it. Maybe you assumed you already had. If what I said was clear, then maybe God is speaking to you right now. More than that, if what I said you still say I'm a little confused about, then it's time to talk. To really say, something is going on here. Something about my spiritual life that I've never, ever thought of before, thought I already had figured out. Now, now Jim, you're just shaking it all up. Now might be the perfect time to make it totally clear so that you can say, by grace, I've been saved through faith. Not because of my works, but because it's the gift of God. Then you cross a line of faith, even right now. Let's pray. If this does describe you, and you say, I get it. Understand it's not me, but the Holy Spirit who has taken human words and worked on your heart to do a heavenly work. Do not miss this opportunity. You may get others, but why not cross the line of faith right now? Simply say, Lord, I receive the forgiveness you offered me 
through the death of your son Jesus Christ on his cross. I receive that gift that you offer by your grace, not by how good I am, not by my insider information, but you're just giving it freely to me. I get it. I'm stepping forward. I'm crossing that line of intellectual belief into soul trust. I am trusting in Jesus as my way, my truth, my life. And I have come to the Father through him. Thank you. And I would ask the rest of us to be praying. Lord, show me the works that you've prepared for us in advance. I don't want to miss one of them. And I ask this in Jesus' great and marvelous name and God's people said, amen.